Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. What's up, everyone? We are back for another episode of The Pair Program. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, if folks are wondering, it looks like uh, you are calling in from a different location. Uh, You are working out of your parents' basement. Is this accurate? Yeah, uh, almost accurate. (laughs) Out of my parents' house, yes. We're we're visiting family this for for the holidays. Um, Okay. The Passover and Easter holidays, although. Did you enjoy my Wayne's my Wayne's World gift though? Yes, I the, yes the Wayne's World gift. I, <laughs> yes, I even even reacted. It was very it was spot on. Okay. Um, um, do you have a favorite? My, uh, a little a, a little teaser it does tie into my pairing, so I'm, I was very okay. pleased with myself when I came up with it. So yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Well, I've got a teaser for my pairing too, but it, it'll be more around food related. <laughs> what is your what is your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Oh, my favorite is uh, yeah. Thin Mint, but you got to put it in the freezer. Right. Classic. Of course. Right. Of course. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a little bit of a teaser. Um, well, let's let's jump in. And we'll give the uh, listeners a heads up on, on what today's episode is about. So today's episode is designed for you know first time founders that are out there or folks who may be building very early stage companies. We wanted to put together an episode that helps you kind of create some order out of the chaos uh, that you might be experiencing. So we'll be covering specifics around uh, things like strategy, finance, and operations. Um, and we'll discuss the kind of like the level of structure that you may need or, or not need. Um, something that's very top of mind in today's uh, climate is venture capital as well. So how to best put um, some of that capital to use in those early stages. Uh, and of course, with you know this type of strategic discussion, uh, we had to bring out some heavy hitting guests. So to provide um, our listeners with some expert insight, we are very fortunate to have you know Molly Hill Patton and Chris Duffist joining us. Um, Molly, you have over twenty years of experience building, uh, managing, and improving you know finance and ops teams for multiple early to mid stage companies. Uh, Chris, a serial fintech entrepreneur with three exits to your name. So of course, you'll have much to add to the conversation. Uh, And again, one thing I'd like to add um, uh, with both of you is that you're not only great startup operators, but I'd consider you both altruistic entrepreneurs as well. Um, You you both seem very intentional about the types of organizations that you're building uh, and wanting to do good in the world. So thank you for that. And thank you both for spending time with us on the pair program. Um, Let's jump into our first segment, uh, which is pair me up. Um, up. We are going to go around the room, shout out the complimentary pairings. Mike, as always, you kind of start us off with things. So what, what do you got for us today? Yep. So as I said, I'm, I'm visiting family. Um, so my pairing is uh, family and unsolicited advice. Um, it's kind of unavoid- unavoidable in my house. Uh, could be talking to my dad or my mom or my sister, anybody about anything. And next thing you know, 
you just wanted to talk and they're giving you like how you should handle whatever situation even before i even hopped on like as i was leaving the kitchen to come hop on the podcast my dad was explaining to my sister who is older than me how to best get to newark airport and what time she needs to leave in order to meet her daughter and so on and so forth so uh it's unavoidable uh so yeah that's adorable that's adorable family and unsolicited I, I, yeah. parents being parents right do they right. do they still ask you to do like little chores like like it's trash night like no 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 um growing up actually we didn't have a whole lot of that most of i mean i had i had a lot like in the yard work type area but um our job was to be students like that was school is our job so that's sort of we had more of that type of stuff um but yeah okay. over the summers there's a lot of mowing lawns and splitting wood um not so yeah. much taking the trash out. although we had a big wood burning thing so yes i guess taking the trash out and incinerating it uh but incinerating yeah. the trash well, yeah, another story. Yeah, we had a we had a full an all out star. Uh, we had an all out star chart. My brother and I, um, you know, so you had the the trash, the dishes, and you know, you had a X amount of check marks to get a you know your gold star. Anyways, nice. Um, well, good for you. That's that's great that you're spending some time with the family. Um, I'm gonna jump in. So my pairing today is uh, Girl Scout cookies uh, and overabundance. So you know, I feel like Girl Scout cookies at this point you know they've gone from like a once a month kind of thing to a, a seasonal thing and now i just feel like it's gotten out of control in their year-round type of sales um and and throughout that process i think we at this point have maybe like 10 to 15 boxes of girl scout cookies that are just constantly adding up um they're genius they've strategically figured out a way to get me to open up my wallet year-round at this point but they are they are delicious, and as a result, again, a, a gluttonous supply of Girl Scout cookies exists in the in the Winkler household. So, that's my my pairing. Um, you know, I'm sure each of you each has a, a box of Thin Mint cookies in the freezer <laughs> right now, which is a, a staple. Um, but uh, but that that'll be mine. I'm going to pass it along to Molly. Uh, Molly, why don't you give us a, a quick intro and tell us about your pairing? Sure. So, first of all, my parents did not. Mike, do not share your parents' philosophy. <laughs> My misfortune. And I actually don't think there's such a thing as an overabundance of Girl Scout cookies. But we can mm -hmm. back to that topic. <laughs> so, Tim, as you mentioned, my, my background, a brief stint on Wall Street. And then I've spent the vast majority of my career working with early stage venture-backed companies where you want to put every dollar you can towards building what matters. And so you want just enough infrastructure that you know that you're doing that, but not so much that you're really taking that value away from the product or customer success or what, you know, really is going to help you grow the business. So that's, that's my background. And um, for my pairing, I recently got back from spring break. So I did come up with a lot of different pairings, but the one that is the most, in my mind is EVs and city living because I realized I love driving an EV and over spring break we had a rental car and I had to pump gas and I thought you know what I never want to have to do this again so that's my favorite nice that's classic where, where did you guys go we went to Costa Rica oh wow it went surfing so I got some downtime <laughs> and a serious workout not, not a lot of not <laughs> Not a lot of yeah, charging uh, yeah, stations. No right. Shortage uh, of charging stations in Costa Rica. 
Also a tie-in to my pairing, because that's where my niece is flying back from. She was in Costa Rica, and that's where my sister is going to Newark Airport to pick her up. <laughs> yeah, I did. I kind ran into people I knew in the San Jose airport. So I was like, clearly, I'm not creative. It's a hot spot. <laughs> it's a hot spot. That's yeah. great. Awesome. Well, good stuff. Well, uh, thanks for joining us again, and uh, we'll pass it over to Chris. Uh, quick intro and, and your pairing. So... Uh, I'm Chris Duffus, founder, CEO of PhoneBank. Um, I've been at this fintech game for a long time, and I can sort of re-engineer anything in payments uh, that you might think of and how how maybe even to create any, anything new. Um, I'll sort of... Uh, Molly and I actually went to the same business school, so we probably think very similarly, at least and from an analytical standpoint, but uh, so to piggyback on her pairing, I might add in addition to city with city living is having a dog. Um, and uh, probably even more so than kids We're both parents, we uh, sent our kids to a, this a, a same school at one point. But uh, I had a dog, a greyhound for, I still have one for a number of years. And it required that I had to take a walk every day around the city to different places. Um, and unlike a child, like you don't necessarily talk to your dog all the time, or at least uh, <laughs> not in the same way. So you spend a lot of time looking at the city and potentially even seeing the city in ways that you never, you, you might not have seen it. And so whether it's in the inscriptions on signs and you take the time to read things and literally uh, smell the flowers as you walk by. So I encourage everybody, if, you, if you're not, that's one of the benefits is not only walking, but also just seeing, having to see the world just because if you pass something 10 times, you know, after maybe the second or third time, you might um, uh, invest in, you know, hey, maybe I should yeah. like look at this. That's nice. cool. Yeah, I I've always had a dog, um, but I've had that that backyard to where you just kind of open the door and just you know let it run out. Um, city living with a dog is very you know, intentionally have to go out, you have to go explore something, you have to go find find that patch of grass, right? Um, but uh, greyhounds are also very very neat breed. We have a one of our teammates has two of them and it's almost like a community uh you know folks that have greyhounds are are very well connected is, to one another is. so um it is. It, it is you have you have to be you have to like people to get a greyhound because people right. talk to you all the time good to know <laughs> they're beautiful dogs um cool all right well that is a wrap um so we'll, we'll go ahead and transition into the main discussion at this point. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about finding some order amongst chaos as a founder, especially trying to dial into some of these earlier stages um, of, of startup uh, development. So um, like I mentioned earlier, if we get down to brass tacks here, a lot of it is going to be navigating you know, some core pillars between inter, uh, uh, between finance, strategy, and operations. Um, Molly, you kind of hit on this as well. There's usually a good, you know, small dosage of, of infrastructure that's going to be in place here. But, you know, these pillars need to be kind of set in place as a, as a good starting point. Um, Chris, let's, let's just kind of start with you, you know, having founded 
you know, these three fintech startups over the years, um, you know, what would you say have been some of those you know, bigger challenges that you faced in those earlier stages of building? And I'm curious of like, what is it that you learned and or kind of course corrected for each one, uh, each of those startups along the way? Oh, man, uh, we only <laughs> yeah, have loaded. an hour. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of infrastructure you have to create to effectively run a any type of uh, internet company nowadays. You know, obviously, you got to build the product. You got to market the product. Um, you got to acquire customers. And this, you know, regardless if it's like an, a consumer, uh, B2C or B2B, right? Or whatever sort of hybrid in between and whatever the particular market might be and, and go to market accordingly. And so I, I think, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge that we've always faced is, you know, um, um, uh, is, you know, how do I prevent uh, having to burn the, the candle, so to speak, from both ends in that, you know, I think what's most important at an early stage company is that early product market fit. And so as you think about what that might mean, it could be some type of customer engagement, whether it's uh, new users, whether it's paying users, whether it's, you know, uh, a combination of both, you know, profitable users, um, depend upon, you know, potentially your financing strategy or your, you know, uh, the KPIs that you're going after. And so, you know, uh, that sort of the multi-dimensional sort of matrix that I try to, or rubric that I try to solve for is and optimize for is that, okay, you have a certain pot of money. Um, we need to get this early product market fit. Uh, I also potentially have to build a product and whatever that might require, like in FinTech, there's maybe some regulatory uh, infrastructure, healthcare as well. Uh, that you got to do before you even sell one dollar's worth of product uh, and start getting customers, even if it even if it is free, right? Right? Like you can't care for patients and not have doctors or some type of you know regulated sort of infrastructure. Same as same as fintech, um, and that can add up really quickly and might put most many businesses or at least a, a startup or bootstrapped company they might be able to afford that. So. Yeah, I mean, in a regulated industry like fintech, I'd imagine you know you're you're maybe needing some uh, larger sum of, of funding versus maybe some sort of a B two C app that you're just whipping up that you can probably get in the hands of folks quicker uh, without as much red tape. Um, you know, from a finance perspective, you know, I guess it, a lot of it kind of starts here as well. I mean, obviously, there's a strategy in place. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about this in a, in a point where maybe. You know, there's already a, a founding team in place, maybe a couple folks, uh, and you know they're they're getting that seed round, right? So, you know, thinking about it from that uh, use case, um, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you maybe see some of these founders, you know, mismanaging their funds, like uh, prioritizing where that spend needs to be? You kind of touched on finding that product market fit, so maybe that's you know you know, spending in marketing uh, areas of marketing, um, you know, investing in that product team or that engineering team, you know, a little bit early on as well. 
um, you know, from a, a venture standpoint, maybe Molly, maybe this is a good angle for you to, to approach it as well. You spent some time with Revolution. Is Have you picked up on areas where it's it's been a common theme where maybe uh, spend is being allocated in areas that aren't top of mind in those early stages or, should, or shouldn't be, you know, spent in those certain areas in those early stages? Um, I have lo- I have lots of thoughts. What one is that what the key, and I think this is really important for all founders, is the capital you bring in, and that conversation between the source of capital, whether it's you bootstrapping self funding, or you've got a VC, and knowing what risks you're taking when you're spending that money. Because when you're early stage and you're small, one of the risks is that you read too much and you have an N, a a small N. And this is particularly relevant in healthcare, where you might find a partner with whom you could scale and you think you're going to be a great thought partner and you try different things and you have to be careful that you're not solving for that player in the market and not for the market writ large. And as you're doing this, this is where I think the finance, strategy ops all intersects is, are you clear in what your hypothesis is? Do you know what it is that you're expecting to see as a result? And if you're not seeing the results you expected, are you, have you captured the information in in the way, like this is where I think about data engineering, right? Particularly when you've got interaction with tons of healthcare data and the product and the end user, can you interpret that data in a way that's going to help you iterate? to get to what, you know, Chris, you talked about earlier, product market fit. So, you know, sometimes when I've come in early on, where I've seen money spent that, and I, you know, stop me if this is not the question that you're asking, <laughs> where I've said, you know, take one company where they, they had two subsidiaries, which is really typical in healthcare, right? Like you have a PC mm-hmm. and you have an ink, and they were operating those two entities on different systems. And so some of it is just like, how do you, how do you spend less money in that example? Like get both of these entities on the same system because it's going to tell you enough. You're going to save money. It's going to tell you enough and it's going to, you're going to be able to take money and redirect it towards the product. So there, there, I have definitely seen patterns where people spend a lot of money too soon, really. Mm-hmm. And that's where the strategy comes in, is are you directing yeah. your funding in a way that's going to be testing your hypothesis? Because mm-hmm. that's what's going to open the door to additional rounds of funding. Have you ever, speaking of too, too quickly, have you ever seen the opposite where companies are maybe – they're a little. T- they're not willing to spend that money. They sort of are, ha- like, for whatever reason, and are doing the opposite, where they they're not spending it fast enough or not, just sort of sitting on yeah, it. Yeah, I've definitely seen that too. I mean, that's where it's like someone like you, Chris, that have done multiple startups. That's judgment, and this is why you know funders love to work with mm-hmm. people who have started more than one company, because that's where the judgment comes in. Because you can also hit yourself by not spending enough. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, a fine line, it, you know. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, what's the definition of, of of 
insanity or something like that. And, uh, you know, it can be viewed from, from multiple perspectives. Um, my strategy is I, I get in early, uh, and hang on for dear life. And, uh, you know, part of that is extending your runway as long as possible and treating every dollar like your last dollar. And that's where overspending, I mean, just the, that statement alone, it just says you're like, Ooh, I've not efficiently spent this money. I overspent it. Right. That could be everything from like, Oh, I'm going to get like this huge office space because I want to represent to the world that I have this huge office space or hiring a ton of people before you have things for them to do or revenue generating, you know, opportunities mm -hmm. for, for them. Um, or building a uh, like this fully blown product before you actually know what users are going to gravitate to, and you see this all all the time. And so, you know, what I one of the things I'd say, especially in the, the tech and fintech space, is you know, uh, uh, try to use someone else's existing product, you know, like rent it before you build it, right? or rent to own or right. you know whatever that sort of analog is um uh but don't don't commit to anything until you absolutely know that okay this is where i'm going to generate revenue yeah. i it's wonder if uh, now that, that oh. oh just because you know, this is a long time ago now but um i worked for flexcar and our main competitor was zipcar and we outsourced the tech to open and to reserve and open and close the cars. And that was an area where I actually thought we didn't spend enough. Mm. And who knew that that was, you know, this is all those, can you pivot fast enough? But Zipcar, ultimately we ended up merging with Zipcar. But Zipcar, mm. they developed their own tech and they really controlled the consumer experience in a way we did not. Because when we outsource that component of the technology, you know, the, that, that vendor just didn't have the same drive to respond quickly as we did. Right. But, you know, then in healthcare, you outsource all sorts of things. And that was in transportation. In healthcare, you outsource all sorts of things because, to your point, Chris, it's so highly regulated with HIPAA that until you reach a certain scale, there's some components of the data flow that it doesn't make sense for you to do yourself. Well, yeah, but, but therein lies sort of the, uh, the crux of it is that build and own what is strategic to you. And that's what you should be thoughtful about. And I would say that probably 90% of the time, most new tech companies can, you know, overbuild their their stack and where they should be partnering mm -hmm. or licensing or, you know, repackaging someone else's platform, at least initially until they get to a certain point. I would actually say in that example you gave, Molly, that these are sort of mature com maturer company issues once you've gotten past a certain financing um, level and sustainability. Um, where you're just talking about retention versus just, hey, I'd like to get one customer, two customers, mm -hmm. 10 or 100 or 10,000. Um, 
Yeah, I think the the what you said about um, building for spying and all of that is another one where, like, if you one of my theories, I haven't I haven't worked at a ton, you know, I've worked at a few places, so I have my own experiences um, about when companies replatform. And I think there's companies that when they build too much too quickly, they sort of get bought in on it. And then they have this like sunk cost fallacy and they have a harder time sort of recognizing like it's like, yeah, that was fine. But like, you should have probably left this like six months ago or nine months ago, but you keep on, you just keep investing in this platform. That's, that's actually not the right platform and it's going to fall crumble under the weight of what you're actually trying to do and it only hamper you know you don't necessarily see it right away it's something that you experience maybe a year later when you're realizing like yeah this is we're spending so much time maintaining the system rather than building the things we need to build uh in that product market fit world i'm curious if you guys would sort of agree with that disagree with that say i'm just totally off my mind uh, you know totally off base on that the idea that yeah, they call they call it uh right. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, I'm aware. Yes, <laughs> but yeah. the the idea of not just tech debt because tech debt I think is an important thing. Like tech debt is a valuable thing. It's like any debt. I wouldn't be able to afford my house if I didn't take out a mortgage. So there's a certain amount of debt that's appropriate, and then there's too much, and then there's what you know, sort of waiting too long to deal with it. Um, I think is sort of where I was getting at. I, I, I think, I mean, yeah, it exists. It's a problem. Uh, and it, I think it's more as much of a mm-hmm. management issue as it is a, just a, a pure technology issue. And that you, like, we're probably, the external world wouldn't see this, but we're probably on the fourth or fifth generation of our mm-hmm. product right now. We're like a mm-hmm. two wow. and a half year old company, right? Um, and, you know, part of that is like, how we got started. Like I'll give you a perfect example, like our first product, and this goes to like how we go to market fast just to test out an idea um, was a, uh, actually this wasn't even our first product. It was like our, our point dot, it was our 0.5 version versus 0.10 product, but was a Facebook messenger bot that was e-commerce mm-hmm. enabled. Um, you know, my current company, we, have created this technology where we can uh, uh, tokenize a unit of prepaid airtime credit on a public blockchain and essentially turn the value in your um, uh, mobile phone sort of account into a stable coin over the top of mobile carriers and banks. Well, um, we needed to test this at some micro level before we actually built something. Um, you know, and I, uh, set up a series of questions where we wanted to validate um, our hypothesis. Like, would people even buy something like this? Or, or could we even get someone to transact with us? There are many products where people spend millions of dollars and build something and then no one shows up, right? Um, and so we just use some off-the-shelf software uh, and, and the solution. Actually, I was at a conference and some guy was... CEO of this company was showing me like, oh yeah, we have 11 million users that are using, you know, these messenger bots and we do all types of transactions on it. I was like, oh crap, this is way better than building an app <laughs> or a website. And so that was our first go to market. We ended up becoming the largest, uh, fastest growing sort of um, reseller prepaid airtime 
within the, our designated sub-Saharan African countries within a few months. Uh, and that was sort of how we got started. It was like, you know, I was, obviously we hit a bunch of limitations with that, but then that was sort of the impetus. Okay, like, okay, now we know how to build what we build in an app. And the next version of that was a, a web app, which is still kind of available today, but we've now have a, a you know, an Android app that's our core platform. So this, this is a phone bank. This is how you got your kind of like your early stage product validation. Is that, is that right? So, so yes. I want to like yep. date back to the first, your first company. Um, you know, is that something that you learned along the way, you know, after making a couple of mistakes in the first go at this, like how, with, with your, with your first startup, what was your approach to product validation? And did you, would you say you spent a lot more time and money and resources on that versus where you're at today? Uh, definitely. Well, I'll give you the, the, the first sort of tech ish product that I ever created was, and this will also date how old I am, uh, when cell phone, cell phones first came out, um, they had, there were these feature phones and then these special bags that you had to create if you wanted a cell phone carrying case for it. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I got, and I lost a phone one time and I got a different type of phone and you know, I had one of those like star tacks and then I got a, a Nokia phone and one was a flip and it had, it, it had special case and the other wasn't. I was like, there should be like a, a flexible bag that you could use to carry, to put each of your phones in. So when, if you drop it, you don't scratch and so forth. So I, I figured out, I, I designed this neoprene bag and it's also a testament to the time and where we are today and how mm. you can go to market with something. But I was in New York City. I designed it and I went around the garment district and I found a couple uh, uh, places that could, you know, create some samples for me. And then I went online and I found some somebody in California that had a relationship with a manufacturer in China. And uh, I sent them the designs, they sent me a sample back. And I was like, all right, it's perfect. And I sent the money. And this probably took six mm. to nine months. And then one day, just out of the blue, like maybe another six months later, uh, maybe not that long, maybe like a quarter later, I, I got a box of like 5,000 of these neoprene, one size fits all cell phone cases. And, um, and then from a sequencing standpoint, I'm like, okay, now I have a product. And I went around to like cell phone stores to see if I could sell it. And, you know, this was back in the day when some of these guys were shady, at least the independent ones, and they'd take my product and they wouldn't give it back to me. And um, fast forward, you know, this wasn't my day job. It's mm -hmm. sort of a side hustle. Uh, and I ended up getting, going to business school and uh, I, took all these bags with the, my, you know, my couch and some other TV or something like that. And I moved down, uh, there and, uh, fast forward, I stored them in a box somewhere and, uh, or in my closet somewhere and maybe tried to sell them every once in a while. And at, uh, graduated from business school is moving to DC and I'm going through that, that closet. It's like, man, it's been a couple of years. I'm just going to throw these things out. And I, I do that and I move to DC and like within a week I meet some guy 
And he's like, oh, yeah, I own a chain of cell phone stores. And I told him about the product. He's like, oh, I would have loved it. And I just, just throw out. So you know, the moral of the story, timing, timing is, is everything. Um, and, you know, in, with the technology, with uh, the resources we have today, you can better align a lot of that sort of product market fit uh, more, more quickly. And I don't want to sort of underemphasize that at, at all. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about sort of, you know, I start with sort of the end result and I sort of uh, backwardize that in terms of like, you know, what are the steps, what are the resources that I need to, to get there? And, um, and there might not be a lot of action for a while. Like I think about some of my new, my current businesses, like I even had the idea for this one, you know, maybe back in, um, uh, mm. 2007. Right. But there's a lot of things that from a market product market standpoint weren't available, you know, uh, until today or in the last couple of years, uh, Definitely right. blockchain what invented, uh, you know. So Molly, I, I have a question in terms of like, you know, with some of the consulting that you're doing with Zephyr, um, you know, when you're coming in, what what is the the stage or size of, of these companies that you're coming in and doing, you know, more of this finance and operations support? Early stage. You know, so there, is there a finance person in place or do you kind of come in as a, almost like a fractional CFO, um, you know, at that stage that you're coming in, is there already somebody that's, you know, really kind of managing the books and, you know, got a, a, a roadmap in place for spend, or is that something they're asking you to help assemble? There's generally a bookkeeper. <laughs> so somebody who's been helping them keep track of spend. And they're just coming to realize that it's not their area of expertise. It's not a good use of their time. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the company is not so far along that they really should hire a full-time CFO or COO. Because again, you really want to put your money towards your key value proposition. And operations is a lot about like you get the phone call when things aren't going right. So you really focus on operations when, to your point, Chris, like you have a lot of customers. And so I, I am helping people think through, first of all, assessing like, where do you stand? How do you just put your finger right on the pulse of what's going on? And then thinking about what investments you do need to make in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll just say philosophically, I am slow to hire especially in a young company, like it, it's tough when you have to let people go. Mm -hmm. And you, you, I mean, I don't mean this from a cash burn perspective, but you, you really do want to feel the burn. So someone's, you know, bringing me in because they don't have the time for what I call, you know, the cognitive labor to really think through it's not, it's not a question of if you're going to need that function, it's when and to what degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're seeing more and more so, you know, kind of on the idea of, you know, using some sort of a, 
no code, low code type of drum up of a prototype, um, you know, primarily an offshore outsourced development team kind of, you know, drumming that up, but just until you're able to kind of validate something before you're going and hiring up, you know, that next couple of key senior engineers internally, just because the the cost of engineering talent is, it's quite ridiculously high. Um, so you're outsourcing a good portion of that until you've been able to kind of validate, you know, that, that product market fit. But um, yeah. Mike, I'm sure you've seen I mean, the what- same in, in I was just going to say that the, one of the first questions I get is kick the tires on my runway. <laughs> That's scary. That's something you want to yeah. check regularly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think it's scary. I think it's, you know, when you do that, it actually, it's really empowering. It's getting, getting a little bit more visibility um, that they're not thinking about. Yeah, I mean, it's just they want that information right on their fing- right at their fingertips, but then they've got the information to make the decisions that matter. So they're not mm-hmm. they're not actually pulling the data together so much as saying like, here's the data. Yeah. Because this is, you know, I've been a controller. Uh, you know, I, I've run accounting, so I, I know what it is to like close the box and have to tie out to the penny. But at that stage, honestly, you don't really need that. I mean, you do, don't get me wrong, but, but the person who's doing that is really functioning in the nitty gritty while I'm taking that information and translating it. Sure. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, just put in perspective, look at what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. There are a lot of companies that had their entire um, working capital, payroll, everything in their one account that they fully trusted. And literally, if that, um, if the FDIC hadn't guaranteed the, the full amount of the funds, there are a lot of businesses yep. that would have just been out of business with no hope of getting yeah, any additional Yeah, let me tell capital. you, $250,000 so, does not cover, like, payroll. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, as it comes to, like, burn your runway assumptions like many businesses are very complicated right and there's a lot of different variables that go into calculating that type of assumption you know outside of just like okay these are my fixed expenses and this is my cash and you know this i can waterfall out like when that that ends that's an easy one but many businesses aren't you know that simple and you could you know they're gonna be like, oh, you have an unexpected drop in sales one quarter. Again, totally natural for a startup, right? At at very various stages, company could be, could be out of business. Or you know, it, like a lot of it is based on what is So you're you're really early. Mm, you're trying to figure yeah. out product market fit. You have a potential big customer that would say, hey, if you can do X, like everybody's been in this boat, right? If you can do mm. X. We can sign this deal. And then the question is, what impact does X have? And does this is this going to give me the return I need? And am I going to just be able to pull the resources out of the hat to be able to do it? Mm. And I think getting back to a point you made earlier, 
um, it's not just the dollars and cents of like, well, how much is it going to cost me to build? And what's the opportunity cost if I build that versus this and so on and so forth? It's the It probably goes back to the other thing that you brought up at very early on, Molly, about a good partner. Is this a good representation or a good represent, you know, of what we want our product to be? Like I, I've worked at plenty of places where we've just chased the money, but it's sort of brought us down bad paths. It's like, cool, hmm. we built this thing and we landed big company X, but nobody else in this industry mm -hmm. operates the way big company X does. And so we've basically just, we sort of blew it. We, we spent a, you know, yeah, we're getting a return on that, but if we'd done something else, we probably would have gotten a larger return. Um, and I'm curious if that sort of ties into to some of the stuff that you're talking about as well. Oh yeah, totally. Is there something that well, you I think that also are like, know... with... <laughs> sorry, no, no, please. I was just going to ask like, yeah, well, I was going to ask, like, what makes a good partner? But, Tim, I don't know if, um, what you were going to ask. Well, I was just going to relate it back to almost like, you know, it's also like the founder's vision, right? And so if the vision is just being skewed over to satisfy one customer's request, it's like, well, what was your what is your overarching vision here? And is is are you still sticking to that or not? And I think that's where a lot of a lot of companies might go down the wrong path of just trying to allure one big customer. And now they're their entire products kind of, you know, getting shifted down a different it's direction. It's so funny you say that because the first pairing I thought of was vision and capital. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's because if you don't, you know, if you don't have your North star, it's easy to your point, Mike, to just chase the money. And then your strategy is evolving because they're chasing the money, not your strategy. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself in a boat where, you know, you haven't necessarily channeled the money the way it's going. You need to for it to pay off long term. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you come in to to help a company, you know, are you kind of starting from some of those grassroots of you know, let's talk about the vision, let's talk about how those goals connect to to, to your vision, and and from there you can kind of figure out where the money is going and, and if it's in the right direction. So that is a great question. Because I actually first try to figure out what their biggest pain point is mm -hmm. and fix that pain point. And then I'm asking those questions throughout the process as opposed to saying, hey, at the outset, can we talk about your strategy? It's more like, how do I get your stress level down? Mm -hmm. You know, because when you have scarcity of time and resources, literally the brain tunnels. Right. And it's mm -hmm. really hard to see big picture. So if you can yeah. take that friction out, if you can help them, like you can help reduce that feeling of scarcity, you're actually going to have a better conversation than if I had asked it at the outset. Mm. I get there eventually, not straight out of the gate. Right. Put put the put any fires out first and foremost, and re reduce the uh, the stress level here. Yeah. Yeah, Mo Mo Molly's like that that character in uh, Pulp Fiction, <laughs> the wolf. Uh, <laughs> you you see their faces when uh, he shows up. They're like, <sighs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I think that's a great point. Like, you spend a lot of time uh, trying to adhere the organization to the vision. And many, many people, um, uh, ha that's one of the, the discipline that's really difficult to instill within mm. a corporation. And um, you need, you need, 
you know, it's a form of culture being a culture bearer. It's like, hey, I'm a, I carry the water on the vision as well. And what you're doing today does not align with that vision. And so how do we sort of realign or readjust yeah. and get course correct? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's, it's a topic that we could probably talk for another couple hours on in terms of like how that vision impacts everything from the culture of values and hiring and strategy. So um, we'll have to, we'll have to put a plug in it for now. Um, but I think, you know, this is kind of just scratching the surface. Um, I'd love to, to transition us to this next segment here before, uh, before we wrap. So we'll, we'll, we'll segue into the the five second scramble here. Again, this is going to be a kind of a quick rapid fire Q and a, um, I'll ask a couple of business slash personal questions and try to give us, uh, your answers under five seconds. Um, so I will, I will start with, uh, with Chris. Um, Chris, what problems are you solving at phone bank? Access to dollars. What, what type of technologist would you say thrives at phone bank? Uh, someone mm. who is nimble. <laughs> What's your favorite aspect of working at phone bank? Uh, international. Like, uh, I am in a business where I like my customers. I like the problems we're solving. I like the markets we're going after. Um, and I think about sort of, this is something where I want to spend the rest of my mm. life sort of addressing. What do you love most about yourself? Whoa. Uh, again, uh, we don't have another we hour. We need extended uh, time just, on this just, one. Just, 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 just kidding. That's funny. Uh, I, I like being, uh, um, I like being a dad. I like being the version of myself today. We'll simplify this next question. Favorite cereal? True. Uh, we need to extend the time again. Flakes. Frosted Flakes. All right. I, I dig yeah. that. Um, what is a charity or corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? The mm. Darden School of Business. Um, <laughs> uh there you go. Welfare. Bring it, bring it full circle. <laughs> um, do you believe there's life on other planets? Oh, heck yeah. That's something, something I think about every day. What's the number one country you'd recommend that everyone should travel to once in their life? Hmm. Jamaica. All right. All right, Molly, you're up. We're going to kick it off with um, uh, question one. So with consulting what is your favorite stage of a startup to jump in and help series a because what is the oh go ahead yeah as to oh, why no, i was just gonna say because you're starting to figure out product market set mm -hmm. what is the biggest challenge facing founders in 2023 capital What's uh, what's one of the best personality traits that you've seen from successful founders? Resilience. What's your favorite aspect I call of the Weeble Wobble effect? The what? The Weeble Wobbles. The Weeble Wobble effect. You know, <laughs> okay. we Weeble Wobbles wobble, but they don't fall fall down. Weebles right? wobble, Tim but they're too young for yeah. that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, favorite aspect of, of working with Zephyr? You know, I just love working with entrepreneurs because they're risk takers that see an opportunity and want to make a difference. 
good answer. What is a charity or corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? Okay, I'm going to have to name two. Okay. One is the News Literacy Project. And it's all about, you know, civics has been taken out of our high school curriculum mm. and it's teaching kids and actually the public how to differentiate fact from fiction. And mm. that is incredibly important in this era. And the other is Rock Creek Conservancy because we just have a, a, a mat, just a wonderful asset here in the District of Columbia. I'm District of Columbia. It's a national park and it's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, got a lot of views through COVID. So uh, I work with the Conservancy. Cool. Including volunteering to do cleanup. Oh, nice. Nice. What is your biggest guilty pleasure? Sleep. (laughs) 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 I think I would get so much more done if I didn't sleep. Sleeping in. Um, if you had one day left to live, would you spend it with Morgan Freeman or Denzel Washington? Wow. With my last day to live, Morgan Freeman. So you're going out, you're going out hardcore, huh? A little, little less casual than, than the, oh, I'm sorry. That's more Denzel. Sorry. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. You're, you're, you're having a nice calm, a nice calm last day. Like somebody narrating the story of your life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> do you have uh do you have any phobias or uh, irrational fears? Yeah. Roaches. Oof. <laughs> would, you, would you rather have a pet dragon or you a ask. pet unicorn? <laughs> Um, I think a pet dragon. Pet dragon? Because I would like to fly. Yeah. That's a good answer. And your favorite Disney character, to wrap it up. Um, is Elastigirl Disney? Everything's Disney these days. Isn't Pixar part of Disney now? Yeah. I'm going with Elastigirl. I channel her all the time. I'm like, I can stretch that far. It's been confirmed. Our and producer, she's, she's, a stat good mom. she's a good mom if she gets stuff done. She makes the world a better place. There you go. Well said. Cool. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you all both for, for hanging out with us. Um, been fantastic guests, and we're looking forward to, to sharing uh, these insights with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you, guys, both. Yep. Thanks so much. Thank you for hosting.